reckless, reckless. Reckless is doing something without thinking or caring about the consequences. Doing something without thinking or caring about the consequences. And um, reckless is not generally a good word in the English language. We, we hear it and we think of it as a negative thing. You might say, well, he was reckless with his money and he lost it all. Or, or she was reckless with her words and she, she really messed up that relationship and made that person upset. We, we hear that word and we think negative about it. And, uh, and that's because generally recklessness is not a good thing. In fact, we have crimes associated with recklessness. There's, there's something that you could be charged with like reckless driving. And it's when you are like so far over the speed limit or so crazy with your driving that not only do you get like a ticket, but you could be arrested or have your, your, your license revoked because you have been careless with the way that you drive. And you could harm yourself or others or even kill yourself or others because of the way you're driving. And so the, the, the law or the, the state may say, okay, you need to not drive for a certain amount of time or you need to spend a certain amount of time in, in prison or whatever so that you can not be so reckless in the future. There's also something called like reckless endangerment, which is kind of the same thing as reckless driving, but it could just be in any different uh, uh, part of life. Maybe you have, uh, maybe you're a parent, you have a child and, and, um, and, and you are so reckless with the way that you, you care for them or something that you could cause them great harm or even death. And so you would be told, hey, hey you can't take care of your child or you can't um, be in normal life because you have been reckless with the way that you're living and, and other people are at risk. So you've got to think about this. You've got to do something to make up for this so that you can be more responsible in the future. And so when, when, when we think about reckless, and then we think about this idea of reckless love, it's kind of, it's kind of a weird thing, because it's like, well, well, if reckless is bad and love is good, how do these two things go together? And furthermore, within like church world, um, how do we sing a song like reckless love, and, and we call God reckless? And so some churches don't even sing this song, because they're like, Eh, like that, that's not that's not right. We shouldn't call God, who's perfect, reckless, because reckless is a, is a negative thing. And so today, I want to talk about is love reckless? Is love reckless? Because I think um, I think when we combine the two words, the definition changes. Yes, reckless means you are uh, you are not worrying about consequences, not thinking about consequences. Um, but when you combine reckless with love, the, the definition kind of changes. Here's here's what reckless love is. It's doing something to benefit someone else, even though it requires sacrifice and will have consequences, usually negative, for you. I'm gonna say that one more time. It's doing something to benefit someone else. That's kind of the love part. Even though it requires sacrifice and will have consequences for you. That's kind of the reckless part. here's, Here's an example of reckless love. A parent's little toddler starts waddling down the driveway and out into the road and a car's coming. The parent doesn't sit there and think, well, you know, I wonder if I'm going to make it. I wonder, if I, could, I wonder if I could get her or him before the, the, the truck comes. Like, I wonder if I'm going to get hurt. No, no, parent dives out into the road, not caring about what happens to them, not caring if they get hurt or even die because they love their child. We would call that reckless love. It is literally, they do not care what happens to themselves because they love their child so much. Maybe for you, and maybe kind of a slightly uh, uh, less consequential thing, but still hard for us, especially in middle school and high school, 
Maybe it's, it's standing up for a friend that you love, showing them love by standing up for them or defending them to other people, even though you know it will cost you with those same people. It will cost you relationally. It will cost you um, socially. It will cost you in terms of being made fun of by that person, whether to your face or behind your back. Like, you know, if I say this, they're going to tear me apart. But you know what? I don't care because I love my friend that much. Reckless Love is this woman named Lydia in 2006. She lived in northern Quebec, which is a a province of Canada. And in her village, there were 300 people. Very, very small uh, little village. Super, super far north. And one day she's walking through her village and the kids are, are playing hockey which is like a sport in the north. It's a big deal there, but we don't know anything about it. So it's this, uh, this sport where you're skating around on frozen lakes, like the, the water freezes so much that you can, you can walk on it, drive on it. And so they're playing hockey, and they start screaming. And she looks over, and a 700-pound polar bear has wandered into the village. And her child and his friends are over there near it, and it's coming towards them. Reckless love is what Lydia did. Lydia ran in between the polar bear and her children, and she told them, go inside, go inside, run away. And knowing, knowing, I mean, really not thinking about it, but knowing that she could not take out a polar bear. The polar bear was coming towards her. And so to to give the children time, she begins punching and kicking the polar bear. And and you know, a a, a little woman can't really, any human can't stand up to to a polar bear. He swipes her across the face, opens up a massive gash in her face, knocks her to the ground and jumps on top of her. And she's kicking and screaming and knocking him off of her, but he keeps coming. And then he swipes her again, knocks her off to the side. But by this time, the kids have run into the houses. The neighbors have come out. One of the guys found a neighbor's shotgun. He went and he killed the bear, and she actually lived. But, but, she didn't know that when she ran over there, did she? That was reckless love. She wasn't standing there thinking, you know, if I run now, he'll probably get the kids first, and I'll be okay. No, no, that's not what happened. She didn't sit there and think, Oh, I don't know, what's the risk reward here? I don't know, I mean, I could keep my kid, but I'm probably gonna die. Like She just runs over there recklessly without regard for the consequences to her. And she did whatever it took to save her child. Reckless love is doing something to benefit someone else, even if it requires sacrifice and will have consequences for you. And you may say, okay, that's a, that's a nice little definition you made up there, but I didn't make it up because we see it in the New Testament. If you go to 1 John, not John, but 1 John 3.16, this is written by John, the close friend of Jesus, one of the closest disciples, and John, at the end of his life, writes these three short letters, and um, he's basically thinking back on, on, on Jesus and God and the whole story, and he's writing to Christians about what Jesus did, and he says, This is how we know what love is. In other words, I'm about to define love for you. I'm going to give you the example of what love is. I'm going to tell you what it looks like. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Pretty simple. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the benefit of other people. That's how we know what love is. Not because he said it. Not because we read it in a, in, a, in, a, in a dictionary, not because we read about it in a book, but because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Here's what John's saying. He's gotten to the end of his life. He, he's, he's seen Jesus live, die, come back to life, ascend into heaven. He's seen the church grow. He's lived all these years fighting for Jesus. And here's what he says at the end of his life. True love is my sacrifice for your benefit. True love is reckless. 
True love is my sacrifice for your benefit or your sacrifice for someone else's benefit. True love is God's sacrifice for our benefit. True love is reckless. These aren't two different words. They're two words that go together. Literally, love requires sacrifice. Love requires someone saying, you know what, this is gonna hurt me. This isn't gonna be good for me, but it's gonna be good for them. And I love them so much that I'm gonna do it anyway. Reckless and love actually go together. Love almost requires a certain sort of recklessness. And I don't think there's any any coincidence that 1 John 3.16 connects completely with John 3.16, written by the same guy. For God so loved the world that he gave. He sacrificed. He demonstrated his love by sending his son who would ever believe, whoever, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. They're very, very connected. And I don't think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a coincidence that 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16 essentially say the same thing. God showed his love by sacrificing and giving. I mean, the whole Christmas story is reckless. The whole idea, like imagine God, God calls all the heavens around and all the angels are there. And he's like, all right, guys, we're going we're gonna to save the world. <clears throat> Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to send Jesus. And they're like, ah, you know, all the angels are like, God, you know, I, I don't know about this. You really want to send Jesus? Like Jesus is a big deal. Like are, are we really going to send Jesus to earth? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, okay, well, when are you going to send him? First century. Where are you going to send him? Israel. Uh, God, you know, like, it's not really going well down there right now. You know, there's no technology. The Romans are just running everything and killing everybody. Like, well, are you going to at least send them as a king? No, I'm going to send them to, to a, a poor peasant family. Oh, God. I mean, I'm sure you know what you're doing. I mean, you are God. But listen, man, I'm not sure you should be doing this. This is, this is a little reckless. This is, don't you think? Like, you might, you, you might sacrifice something. Something bad might happen if you send Jesus well, surely you're going to send him as a strong, uh, uh, like King David type guy, right? He can kill everybody. He's like a superhero. No, I'm sending him as a, as a baby. God, God, there's no hospitals. Like he could die in childbirth. Like what are you thinking? This is reckless. And God says yes, because that's what love is. And he sent his son as a poor little peasant baby into a world full of violence, no technology, no hospitals, no, no doctors that could save a baby if it got sick. Like, he sends him into that situation. And it didn't just stop there because Jesus lived a reckless life. If you go to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Jesus is, is a grown adult. He's into his, his ministry. He's, he's about 30, 31 years old. And it says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Leprosy was a was a a cureless death sentence. You would die once you got it. It would be long and it would be bad and it would be painful. And not only did it cost your body, but it cost everything else. You could not work. You could not live in the town. You could not live with your family. You would be driven out into these leper villages or leper colonies outside of the city because you couldn't get near anyone else because they were scared to get your disease. You had to dress a certain way. You had to um, yell out leper, leper everywhere you, you went. You were like a monster. Like people would not go near you. Once you got leprosy, your life, your life was over. And this man that's covered in leprosy, so we, we know that it's like at the last few days, like he is really doing bad. Like he is a bad case of leprosy. He comes up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground, and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, Jesus, if you are willing, he's essentially saying, God, I believe in you. 
I know that you can heal me. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And the next thing is so important, and it shows the recklessness of Jesus. Jesus could heal a lot of ways. He could have done the, done the little, like, he could have snapped his fingers and the guy's healed. He could have said it by his words. He could have done it long distance. He could have sent a messenger and he would have been healed. He could have just thought it and he would have been healed. But he didn't do any of those things. He does something extremely reckless, extremely um, just, most people would just say, this is stupid. Why are you doing this, Jesus? Verse 13, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. You can imagine the disciples being like, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? No, 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 no. Gosh. Oh, man. I hope he doesn't get sick. I hope he doesn't get leprosy. I hope, that, man, if he, if he ruins this whole movement because he touched a leper, like, I'm going to be really mad. Like, we were doing good. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, you could imagine everyone's reaction. Like, oh, gosh, a leper. You touched him. Oh, come on, man. What are you thinking? But Jesus was proving a point. He was saying, Everyone matters. He was saying, it doesn't matter what happens to me because I'm here for the people of this world. And he touches him. He doesn't touch him once he's clean. He could have done that too. He could have healed him. Hey, you're clean and then touched him. But he touches him while he still has leprosy. And the touch doesn't heal. The touch was just to show how much he loved him. And then he says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately this leprosy Left him. See, Jesus was reckless in his love for us. God was reckless as he sent his son. And, and, and yeah, we, we, could, we could go on all day talking about examples of how Jesus was reckless in his love. But I think we have to look at who he was reckless for if we really want to get a full picture of his love for us. See, we need to focus on who he loved, who he came for. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, that means all people would not perish if they believed in him, but they would have everlasting life. See, he came for all people. And, and he didn't come for a bunch of people that were doing good things. He, he didn't come for, for people that were, you know, fighting the good fight and being obedient and like, hey, yeah, I, I love God. I'm going to do whatever he says. He came for all people. He came for the people that were Jewish he came for the people that were not Jewish. He came for the people that were pagans. He came for the people who were alive and who were yet to live. He came for people from all over the world, all races, all, all nationalities, all cultures. He came for all people. And he knew that he would have to give everything and that he would get nothing in return. He, he didn't come to people who had a lot to give him. It's not like he was coming for, for a brother or a mother or, or for someone who had fought for him or, or given him a bunch of money or anything like that. He came for a bunch of people that were his enemies, that, that literally he knew would ignore him, he knew would reject him, he knew would even kill him. He, he knew that over the next few thousand years, people would, would, would walk away from him every single day, would walk away from his sacrifice, and yet he still gave everything he had. He chased after people who he created and loved, even though they had turned away from him. And he did it all the while knowing that not everybody would turn. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 says this in the message translation. <clears throat> Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. Right on time. He did it and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death. That word again, sacrifice. 
He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak. Not just weak, but rebellious. Again, while we were against him, while we were sinning against him, while we were pushing back against him, while we were his enemies, he still presented himself for his sacrificial death while we were weak and too rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. Like, we didn't know how to save ourselves. We didn't know how to fix ourselves. We still don't. And then, then he says this, we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. Like, like if you, if you gave a lot of money or if you, you, you gave something to a friend or you saved someone's life, we can understand someone sacrificing for that kind of person, right? They're good. They're noble. It's, it's great. He continues, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. Like someone that's so good that we're like, man, I'll do anything for you. You're great. But that wasn't the case here. See, Jesus came to a bunch of people that were not good and noble. They were not, not, not benefiting him in any way. And still he sacrificed for us. It says, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial. Again, the word sacrifice. Sacrifice is required when you want to display love. By offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. We had no use to him. We didn't give any benefit to him. And yet he still came for us. He wasn't trying to get something. He wasn't trying to, 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 to gain something for himself. He's God. He didn't need to. And yet he came anyway. In other words, he came for a bunch of people who did not want him, who did not ask for him, who were not willing to do anything for him. And he put his love on the line. He put his life on the line. He gave himself in sacrifice. Here is the gospel and the good news. The gospel is that God sacrifices himself to save us, even though we don't deserve it. The gospel is that God sacrifices himself, gives of himself to save us or to benefit us, even though we don't deserve it. And here's where a lot of times, if you're in this room and you've been a Christian for a while, um, here's where a lot of times we get it wrong. And I do this all the time. Is that we start to think, even though we've been saved by grace, even though we've been saved and we've given our life over to him and we've, we've said, hey, I want you to, 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 to hold my sin in your hands and, and, and wipe it away. We, I want you to hold my eternity in your hands. I love you. I need you. All that kind of stuff. Then we go to our lives and we start trying to just earn our way to him. We do this all the time in church. We're like, I know I've been saved by grace, but, 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 but I got to be better. I've got to try harder. I've got to do better. I've got to pay Jesus back. I've got to earn my way to Jesus. Like, I've got to figure out how to be good. And it's not that we should live a life that we just do whatever we want, because that's not the answer. However, we don't earn our way to God. We don't pay God back. We couldn't pay God back. All he asks is that we are in relationship with him, and we accept the grace he extended to us on the cross. And so if you're, if you're getting into that rut of life where you're just kind of like, I gotta, I gotta do better. I've gotta, I've, gotta, I've, gotta, I've, gotta, I've gotta figure out a way to get myself together. I've gotta get my act straight. I gotta go to church more. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta read the Bible more. I gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta stop doing this or start doing this. I've gotta figure my life out. I, I wanna just challenge you to just get rid of your laundry list, get rid of your checklist and just focus on Jesus and allow him to change you and allow him to work through you, and allow him to show you what you need to do. Because when we focus on Jesus, when we focus on his love for us, when we focus on what he has done for us, when we focus on who he is, he will change us. The laundry list and the checklist, that kind of needs to go away. 
it really doesn't help anything. That, that's, just, that's just something for, for, for those of you who call yourself Christians. I, I know that we fall into that all the time, this, this get myself better, try harder gospel, and that's not the good news. The good news is that he came to us while we were sinners, and he died for us. I want to turn over, last scripture, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and, and if, you, if you grew up in church, you, you're probably rolling your eyes right now because you're like, oh gosh, this, this story again, because it's one of the most famous stories Jesus ever tells, and, and you may be like, oh, I, I don't know, like, like I've heard this, I already know this, like, 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 but just, just stay with me for a second, because this is, um, this is the picture of reckless love. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, there was this expert in the law, this, this religious teacher, like a professor, and he comes up and he, he wants to test Jesus, and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, he, and Jesus says, well, well, what's written in the law? And he says, well, I should love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I should love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, excellent. You got it. Go do that, and you'll live. And the guy's like, oh, gosh, like, that's not possible. I can't just love everybody like that. I can't just love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know that's not possible. And so the man looks for a loophole. He looks for an excuse. He tries to rationalize his way out of it. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? Who's, who do I really have to love? Because the, the idea at this time was your neighbor, if you were a Jewish person, was any other Jew who was a good person and went to the temple and, 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 and gave their offerings. So basically, a Jewish or a neighbor was only the person that was your race and your religion and treated you well. Oh, and by the way, treated the temple well and gave their offerings to God. Those are the only neighbors. Everybody else, you do whatever else you wanted to do, whatever you wanted to them. Tax collectors, they weren't even humans. Prostitutes, who cares? Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, soldiers, like who cared about all them? They weren't your neighbors. We only care about our own. That was, that was at least the thought. And so he says, well, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers his question with a story, a famous story, a story that even if you've never been in church in your life, you've heard mentioned before because the hero of this story has become a common phrase in our world today. Jesus says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, thank goodness, a priest is here. He's going to help me. Uh, The priest saw him. He saw him, looked at him, and he went to the other side of the road. We've all done this. We may say like, oh gosh, that priest is a terrible person. We've all seen that person coming down the hallway and we see him, we're like, I can't make eye contact. And you walk to the other side. You, you, you move away. You're like in, in like a store or something and you like hide behind a rack of clothes. I did that one time when I was in middle school. I saw somebody that I didn't want to see at the mall and I literally hid behind a rack of clothes and they saw me and I was like, oh, I'm such an idiot. They're like, are you hiding from me? I was like, no, I'm not hiding from you. Um, but we've all done that, right? We've all seen somebody where oh, they're going to ask me something. Or we see someone on the street, they're going to ask me for something. And we go to the other side of the road. He says, the priest did that. And then a Levite came. Well, a Levite was kind of like a priest, except he wasn't quite as important. So maybe he had a little bit more time on his hands. And the, the Levite notices him and does the exact same thing, runs to the other side of the road. And then a third guy comes. He says, but the Samaritan, which is, is kind of uh, uh, inferring the Samaritan's going to be the hero. The Samaritan's going to do something well. And all the Jewish people were like, oh, gosh, I can't believe Jesus is going to do this. Like, like just like he's going to make the Samaritan the hero. So the Samaritan... People hated Samaritans. They, they were essentially Jewish people who had uh, married the enemies of God, the Assyrians, 
and had babies and had little mixed babies and, and gone to a different religion and a different culture. And like, so everybody looked at the Samaritans like they are trash. They are not even humans. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. They looked down on the Samaritans. The Samaritans had to live in a, nef- a different area. And, and like, so when he said, but the Samaritan, they're like, oh no, 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 no. Don't make the Samaritan the hero. The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he did not go to the other side of the room. But he had pity on him. And that pity drove him to go to the man. Now keep in mind, this man in the, in the side of the road, he was probably a Jewish man. The Samaritan knew this Jewish man would probably spit on me if he was awake right now, if he was conscious, if he was normal. But I'm going to go to him anyway. He came to where the man was. And he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which was like a first aid kit at that time. And then he put the man on his own donkey. So he gets off his donkey and he starts walking and puts the, the, the broken Jewish man on his donkey. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day, which infers, he spent all night long helping a guy he did not even know, probably an enemy of his. The next day, he took out two denarii. He took out more money and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he says, look after him. And when I return, so he's saying, I'm not just going to take care of him all night. I'm not just going to give you money. I'm going to go do what I need to do. And I'm going to come back to check on him. And I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus turns to the, to the man who asked the question. He said, well, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Which, by the way, was not the question he asked. He asked, who is my neighbor? And he told him how to be a neighbor. He says, who, who, who's the neighbor? And the expert in the law would not even say the Samaritan. He wouldn't even utter that phrase. He just says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. See, we often look at this story and we say, well, this this tells us who our neighbors are, which is everybody. That's true. We also look at this story and we say, well, this tells us how to be a good neighbor. That's also true. We also look at this story and we say, well, this tells us how to live our lives of love. That's also true. But there's another, another interpretation of this story, one that I, I haven't heard preached on very often. But it's this, that this story isn't necessarily about what we're supposed to do. It's not really about how we should live our lives. This story is instead a symbolic representation of who Jesus is. See, in this story, Jesus is the good Samaritan, and we are the dying man. Jesus is the good Samaritan, and we are the dying man. See, Jesus came to a world as a foreigner, as someone who who did not matter, as someone who was not like us, as someone who who would be ridiculed and made fun of and rejected. And he came to this place knowing that he would be hurt, knowing that he would be rejected, knowing that he would have to sacrifice of himself. And he came anyway. And he came down to us who were dying or dead on the side of the road. We could not do anything to pay him back. We, We couldn't fix ourselves. We couldn't wake ourselves up. We couldn't clean ourselves up and make ourselves better. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the resources. We didn't know what to do. And at just the right time, he came to us. He came to us, and he bandaged our wounds. He, he, he picked us up. He put us on his donkey. He took us to an innkeeper. He took care of us all night long. He gave of his money, his time, his resources to, to protect us, to heal us. Because we could pay him back? No. 
Because we had earned something? No. But because he loved us. Because love is reckless. And there's kind of a crazy thing that, like the Samaritan, Samaritans didn't even travel on that road that Jesus referred to. Why? Because they were at risk every time they traveled a Jewish road of being harassed by other Jewish people. Not just being attacked by robbers, but every single person they pass might harass them. It's like when you're in the wrong area of town for, for your culture, or the color of your skin. You say, well, well, we're not supposed to hang out there. They're not supposed to hang out here or whatever. Like, it was like that kind of thing. And he would have been at risk just even being there. That's Jesus. He was at risk even being in our world. And yet he came Anyway, we think, if you're familiar with the words of reckless love, some of the parts of reckless love are so true. It says, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. When I was your enemy, while I was still sinning, Jesus' love fought for us. We were the enemy sitting or laying on the side of the road, and the, 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 the foreigner, Jesus, comes to, to us and comes over to us and picks us up. Some of the other lyrics of the song, I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. This is, this is the picture of the gospel. This is the picture of the good Samaritan. The man in the gutter didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He had probably mistreated Samaritans in his past, and still the Samaritan gave himself away. This is Jesus. Jesus giving himself to us even though we didn't earn it, even though we didn't deserve it. I'll close with this story that's been on my mind for a year because I've heard, since I heard Ashley tell it, my sister Ashley, she, uh, she, she, uh, she, if you were here a couple weeks ago when she preached, um, she is a mental health counselor and, and, and works with adoption and foster parents and all that kind of stuff. And um, she told this story in big church about a year ago. Maybe, maybe you've heard it before, but she said um, <clears throat> there was a, a client of hers that has a few foster children. And she fostered this girl at the age of 10 years old and the girl had been taken out of her home. Um, she, was, uh, she had been abused. She had been mistreated. Uh, her, her parents' parental rights had been terminated. They were no longer allowed to be near her and no, certainly not allowed to take care of her. And, uh, and um, she got adopted by the woman and everything was good. She loved the woman and the family. They loved her. It, it, was, a, it was a healthy foster situation. But she got online and she started looking up her, her parents and she kind of reconnected with them via social media and... Um, and when they saw that, they, they kind of took advantage of the situation. They said, hey, you need to come home. Uh, you need to run away. They don't love you. They're, they're not your parents. We are your parents. You need to come back to us. And, and so one night, she kind of just got like tricked by them, and she ran away and went to, to where they were in an apartment complex in, a, in an area of town that was um, certainly not where, where um, she might have wanted to be that night. And the foster mom realizes she's gone. She goes online. She looks at the Facebook messages. She realizes that she's gone back to her parents. And, and, and she was like, I've got to help her. I've got to save her. I've got to bring her back. She's in a dangerous situation. And so she calls the police and she says, hey, I need you to go get my daughter. She's at this address. I need you to go get her. She's my daughter. She's not supposed to be around the parents. And they said, ma'am, police officers don't go there in the middle of the night. It's not even safe enough for trained men with guns to go into. We're, we, don't, we don't go in there or we might not come home. So you're gonna have to wait till the morning. And a normal um, caring person might say, okay, we'll go in the morning. I'm sure it'll be okay. Common sense might say, 
well, you at least need to take a gun with you. You at least need to take like, like, like some, some, some people with you. You need, you need to take somebody or else you might put yourself at risk. But the woman wasn't thinking about what was gonna happen to her. She was only thinking about her daughter that had run away that she needed to bring back, that she needed to bring to safety, that she needed to save. And so she goes across town in the middle of the night to a place where she should not have been and starts banging on doors and screaming, where's my daughter? And she knew uh, who had her. And so she was going from door to door. And this is the kind of thing like you might just accidentally get shot in neighborhoods like this because they're scared that you're attacking them. And so they come out with a gun. And so she's putting herself on the line. She could have been taken uh, by these parents. She could have been hurt. She could have been harassed. She could have been killed. She could have been shot. And she did not care. That's reckless. The police officers would have said, ma'am, you don't need to do that. You shouldn't do that. We're not even willing to do it. But she didn't care about what might happen to her. She wasn't worried about the consequences. She wasn't worried about the sacrifice that it required of her. She was only worried about one thing, and that was saving her daughter. That was getting her daughter back. She went from door to door, middle of the night, screaming and knocking down doors until she found her daughter and took her home. That is the picture of Jesus. That's the picture of Jesus coming to us. Not because he was gonna get something, not because we had earned it, not because we deserved it, but he said, I have come for my child. I have come for my children, the ones that I created, the ones that I love, the ones that I know. And they may have run away and they may not even want to come back, but I love them. And love is reckless and love requires sacrifice. When Jesus was before Pilate, he had a chance to talk himself out of the situation. He could have been like, Pilate was trying to, to, he was the Roman ruler. He was trying to let Jesus go. And at one point he's like, Jesus, do you have anything to say for yourself? And, and basically Jesus says, do what you gotta do. Like how reckless can you be? If people don't call God reckless, then they haven't read the Bible because God is reckless. Jesus sat there and said, do what you gotta do, Pilate. Kill me. Do what you gotta do because I have come not to live for myself, but to live for other people. I've come to sacrifice myself for the good or the benefit of many. So if you're in this room and you're a Christian, I want you to remember that. Sometimes we just need this reminder. Hey, we're not living to earn love. We're not living to, to, to earn our way back to God. We don't have to do a laundry list for him to love us. He loves you because of Jesus and your relationship with him. He accepts you because of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. And if you're in this room and you're, you're not a believer, you've never given your life over to Christ, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never um, accepted him as your Lord and Savior, as we say, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that tonight. This is a decision that I can't make for you. This is a decision that your friend can't make for you, your parents can't make for you. And God has given us the opportunity to make the decision ourselves. He will not make the decision for you. So if you're in this room and you, you say, man, I wanna, I wanna be in a relationship with that guy, the guy who is reckless enough to put his life on the line, the guy who would come and bandage my wounds on the side of the road when I could not help myself, the guy who gave himself up as a sacrifice for me. If that's you, I wanna give you the opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. So bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're, if you're in this room and you say, man, that's me, I, I wanna make that commitment tonight. On the count of three, I wanna invite you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand, not because that's what saves you, but because, <clears throat> because something happens when we make a physical representation, when we say yes, when we, when we acknowledge physically what's going on inside of us. So on the count of three, I'll, I'll ask you to raise your hand. 
then you can put it right back down. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. And the book of Romans says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So raise your hand on the count of three. One, God loves you. Two, he sacrificed his son for you. Three, raise your hand. Raise your hand if that's you. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm yours. I know you're the son of God, that you died for me, that you sacrificed for me, that you rose again to conquer all death and all sin. I surrender my life to you. I want to follow after you. Forgive me for what I've done. Change me from the inside out. Give me new life. Be the Lord of my life. In your name.